Amen. Good morning, you guys. Obviously, a lot of people stayed up late. <laughs> We're going to be in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up the book. And while you're turning there, I've got a few announcements for you. Let me see if I can find them. Just to start out this new year. First off, Happy New Year. Um, we want to just let you know what's going on during the week. We've got a uh, women's Bible study here at the church, Wednesdays at 4 with Patty Hewing. Uh, contact Patty Hewing if you want to find out about that. I think they started a program, so it might be hard to jump in that one. But then uh, Auntie Jean has a Women of Faith Bible study on um, Thursdays up at her house. And then there's Women's of Faith on Friday at 4.15 here. And then Wednesday night, we're going to be going back to our normal Bible study of uh, worship and teaching from the pulpit. We've been doing prayer and worship. We still want to incorporate prayer, so we're going to, we're going to make time at the end of Wednesday night Bible study to have a little bit of prayer, but it'll be back to the, mostly the regular format. And we want to let you know that um, to tell your friends, because we're going to have child care and a youth uh, group that'll be, uh, you'll be able to bring your kids and the kids will be able to eat outside, and the little ones can go upstairs, and it'll be an awesome time. So we encourage you guys uh, with that. With that said, is um, our theme for this month is, is commitment to God. And last month it was giving, giving of yourselves, giving to, to your neighbors, giving to uh, God, and doing your best. And this, this month the theme is commitment to God. And as we start a new year, I know we always make New Year's resolutions, which usually mine all fail, but um, my resolution this year is more of Jesus. And, and so um, if we would just take this month to reflect committing to God, committing to prayer, committing to reading our Bible, and committing to serving Him and serving others. And then I want to mention next month's theme because it's important that I start warning this service about it. Next month, our theme is unity and fellowship. So the month of February, what we're going to do is we're going to combine this service with the 9.30 service. There won't be an 8 o'clock service in February. We want you to get to know the other fellowship. We would like you to maybe come even at 9 o'clock and then have coffee and, and pray and have fellowship, and then we'll do the service. And, and after the service, every Sunday in February, we're going to go outside. We're going to have break bread. It'll be a potluck. We'll have the barbecue going. And it's just a time of fellowship and unity, just a pulling together in these last days to really strengthen the body of Christ because uh, who knows what we're up against this year. Um, I'm sure it could be challenging, uh, but if we interlock arms and join together, it should be a blessing. Amen? Amen. So uh, we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me look at the clock. Is that clock right? That clock's not right, is it? What time is it? 8.15. Okay, that clock says 8.20. They just want to make sure I don't go late. It's for me. It's for me. Okay. Okay, the Apostle Paul wrapping up this letter. You know, I was trying to think of um, what would be a good New Year's message, and I realized that um, this, is a, this is a perfect portion for, for New Year's because it deals with uh, a commitment to God, to stand up for God no matter what, and to do His will. And as we finish up this chapter, there's some real challenges in this portion of Scripture that, that's a challenge for us all. 
But if we're fully committed to God and we're committed to serve Him more than ever in this new year, then these are the kind of things that we need to address and tackle in our lives. And, and basically, it's, it's discipline in the church. It's, it's confrontation. Nobody likes confrontation. Well, actually, some people like it, and some people think that it's their gift. You know, they're, they're like church security sin sniffers, and they like just try to point out everybody's faults. Um, that's not a gift from God. Um, we, though, should be uh, desiring to be a pure church, a, a holy bride, a pure bride. That's what God desires of us. And so uh, it's a time for us to reflect, for every man and woman to examine their heart to see if they're in the faith. And, and with that is not picking and choosing what you want to deal with in your life, but actually obeying the Word of God. And so I've entitled this message, uh, uh, Committed to God. And we finished up last time in chapter 3, verse 5, so look at verse 6. But we command you, brethren... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command that you exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy but admonish him as a brother. Father, we thank you um, just for that encouragement, Lord, that you desire a, a clean, pure, holy bride. And Lord, that we should be constantly challenging ourselves to be better and better for your glory, to try to get every little piece of darkness out of our life, every little ounce of our flesh out of our life, Lord God, and to be holy because you're holy, and to be pure because you're pure. And so, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to do that, though. And you said that you would give us the Spirit freely for those actual things. And so we ask right now that you would minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I hope they're fixing the clock up there because I can't see how much time I have. <laughs> um, committing to God. Let's make this year the year that we uh, step it up. And... Um, really go above and beyond what we did last year for Jesus. I think you can't go wrong with that. I think that's what God wants from us. And so I want to encourage you to read more, to pray more, to serve more, to serve others more, to be other-centered, not focused on yourself, committing everything to Jesus like never before in your life. And along with that commitment, 
is a commitment to examine ourselves and to look at possible sin in our life and rather than saying that's just the way I am or that's just my situation, to actually change. To focus on changing rather than saying, well, I guess God's okay with me because I've been doing this a long time and uh, He hasn't done anything to me. Um, Don't you dare act like that. Don't mistake in God's patience for he's okay with sin. He's patient, but he will deal with you if you're a child of God. He loves you. And to those whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. And so um, don't, don't mistake in his patience for being okay with the sins of the flesh. We, we need to get that stuff out of our lives. We need to constantly be striving. And it's just something we're going to battle till, till we go to be with the Lord. Because every one of us has sins. Every one of us blows it. Every one of us makes mistakes, has a wrong thought. It's, it's the battle we have between the flesh and the spirit. But one day we won't have to battle those things anymore. One day we'll be in heaven, we'll have our new body, and we won't even be able to sin, and that'll be glorious. But until then, it's a fight, isn't it? I mean, you, sometimes you feel like punching somebody. Sometimes you feel like giving someone a piece of your mind. Sometimes you feel like getting something for you and how hard it is for us to die to ourselves to pick up our cross and to follow after Jesus and one of the toughest things that we deal with when we live for Jesus is when he tells us to discipline or to confront that's never easy is it you know we see in the Bible it tells us to discipline our children and that we spank our children. And, and that's biblical. He's not into church abuse or, or child abuse. But there's, there's discipline in the body of Christ. There's discipline in the home. Now, our world today says if you spank your children, they can be taken away. Um, we, that's, that's crazy. Because the Bible tells us if you don't discipline your children, you hate them. And God provided a cushy little spot on their body that they surely won't die. I'm a totally against child abuse. I'm totally against church abuse. It has to be a balance. It has to be a balance of love and truth and, and dealing with these types of things. And God tells us even in the church to confront. Now that's never easy. So how do you deal with confrontation? How do you deal with if someone's wronged you or someone's done something to you or you don't like someone what how do we deal with that well we go on we go on social media and we blow them up right you go on facebook twitter you go on uh whatsapp you go on instagram snapchat you know you just fry them in front of the whole world that's not what you're called to do but unfortunately even christians are doing that So how do we deal with it? Well, we go right to the pastor. No, we don't. God commands you to go to the individual. You don't run to me. God's put it on your heart, not my heart. Pastor, you know, so-and-so, did you talk to him? Well, no, I just thought, no, I don't want to hear it. Go talk to him. See, that's Matthew 18. Actually, let me... 
read you that real quick. Matthew 18, just so we understand, when you've got a problem with somebody, this is how you deal with it. Matthew 18, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Moreover, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. Isn't that cool? You got a problem with someone? You got a problem with me? Come right to me. Don't go to everybody in the church. Come right to me if you have a problem with me. And tell me. And if I go, wow, you're right. You know what? I am blowing it. Forgive me. Then you've gained a brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen or a tax collector. Wow. So like a heathen, an unbeliever, or someone from the IRS. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two or, or two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So how do we deal with a problem that we have with a brother? You go to the brother one-on-one. Say, bro, I'm seeing you're messing up in this area, or you've offended me, and if he says, you know, forgive me, you're right, I'm wrong. Then you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, then what do you do? You go get two godly people who love the Lord and they're not interested in taking sides with you or the other person, but they're only interested in what God wants. And you take those two godly people and you bring them before that guy and they listen to the situation. And then if they say, you know what, brother, you're wrong. You need to get right. And he refuses. Then you take them to the leaders of the church. Not be, you don't put them up in front of the church. I've seen churches that have done that, that take people after the service. They take all those people that have had problems. They put them up on the stage and they fry them in front of the whole congregation. That's not biblical. That means it would take them to the church. It's take them to the church leaders. If they won't hear the church leaders, then it says put them out. So they'd be ashamed. Let them hit rock bottom. Let them until they get things right and then receive them back. Isn't that what Paul did in Corinth? He told him about that one guy. Get him out of here. Turn him over to Satan. That's pretty heavy. The guy was sleeping with uh, his father's wife who it was his stepmother and everybody was praising God on Sunday and they all knew he goes get that guy out of here turn him over to Satan but you if he repents you better receive him back that's that's godly that's how we're supposed to be so there's a couple of scriptures here that I think have been really confusing over the years to a lot of people when it comes to the the binding and the loosening you know I bind this I loosen that and where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. And, and many times we've misused these verses. We look at these verses like, you know, I'm, I'm binding and I'm loosening, I'm binding and I'm loosening. And, 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 you know, where two or more are gathered, he's in our midst. And, and we can say that sometimes when we have like a prayer meeting and only a handful of people come and we go, we go well, you know, where two or more are gathered, he's in our midst. And, and, and I get it. That's true. 
But I want to tell you that if you're all by yourself, he's in your midst. Amen? Yeah, because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So what is he saying here on this scripture where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst? He's talking about judgment in the house of God. He's, he's talking about when, when somebody has wronged somebody, they don't want to get it right, two witnesses have gone, they didn't still want to, want to get it right, went before church leadership, still didn't want to get it right. And then they, you know, they, they have to put that person out. God says, when you are acting godly in a godly manner, dealing with judgment in the church, I'm with you. I'm in your midst. I support you standing up for me in the church when it deals with matters like that. So that's how we deal with discipline in the church. So if you know somebody that's going through something, it's your obligation in love. Here's, here's how I always say to people, when you have to confront somebody, confront them in the same way that you would want to be confronted if it was you. Right? Don't we want judgment when someone hurts us? But Lord, be patient with me. And God's like, you're doing the same thing. I know. But he's a jerk. Be patient with me. And God says, no. Judgment begins at the house of God. If we're going to go strong this year for Jesus, we've got to be willing to deal with the things that are inside that God wants us to get out of our lives. And so in verse 6, he says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he has received from us. That's strong words. I command you, brethren. You know why that's strong? Because every time you see an apostle casting out a demon, he commanded that demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's not messing around here. He's saying when there's sin in the church, we need to confront it so that God can bless the fellowship. He says there in the second part of verse 6, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he has received from us. What is the traditions? It's the Word of God. When Paul talks about traditions, he's talking about the Word. Paul taught the Word. And he taught this church for three weeks, night and day, and gave them so much stuff, so much information, and there was such a move of the Holy Spirit that in, in just three weeks, it became a church. They had leaders, and they were growing like crazy, and the whole city was coming out. Now, he, he says here, to withdraw from those who are disorderly, you got to understand Paul's, he's not saying to you like, if you see someone messing up in church, kick them out. He's not saying that. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to warn. He says, I exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Just like Matthew 18, we, we go, we warn, we identify the situation, we say, I love you, I want you to grow, you, you need to change. You don't just go up to people and you see them make a mistake and kick them out because aren't you glad God didn't do that to you? And he says, for you yourselves, verse 7, 
know how you ought to follow us, for we are not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked and labored and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. I love that about Paul. Paul was always trying to be example to others. And that's our, that should be our goal in 2023. That someone can look at you and say, you know what, they got Jesus. They're so full of love. They're such an example. They're always like doing the things of God. They're always encouraging. They're always loving. They're always understanding when I mess up. And Paul was that kind of person. He said, you know, remember when we were with you, we didn't ask anything of you. We didn't ask for free stuff. Oh, though he, oh, you know what? He deserved it. According to the Word of God, the church is supposed to take care of the man of God, the pastor. He had all that authority to say, listen, you, you need to take care of me. You need to feed me. You need to house me. But he didn't. Why? Because he wanted to be an example. Because he didn't want anyone saying, you're in it for the money. You're only preaching this stuff for what we'll give you. You're just trying to gather stuff. Because Lord knows, we know a lot of pastors out there that are, it's all about the money. It's all about the power. I really worry when I hear about these pastors that are making literally tens, twenty, thirty million dollars a year off a church. And guys, they, they, they don't go speak anywhere unless you're giving them like multi-thousands of dollars and taking care of all their expenses. Like, no, we don't need you. What I love about the people that come speak here is they don't ask for money. Doesn't mean we won't bless them. But it's like our heart should be what we were freely given, give freely. And so Paul was saying, listen, we were, we were an example to you. Paul worked. He worked night and day. He would get up in the morning, he'd work making tents in the middle of the, the day in that area, they would do like a siesta because it was so hot, and then they would open up shops again around six in the evening and go on till about eleven at night. So when everybody was taking their siesta from whatever, twelve to six, Paul would preach through that whole time. So he'd work in the morning, preach through the time of siesta, and then at six he'd go back and work again. So nobody could say he was in it for the money. And so he, he's making a strong point here to this Thessalonian group. He wanted to be an example. And then in verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. Wow. Now, he's not saying to those who can't work. There's a lot of people that can't work. He's saying to those that can work but won't. They're lazy. He's talking about lazy people. If you're able to work, you shouldn't be sponging off the government or sponging off the church. There's a lot of people that work the circuit. They work the churches. Did you know? You probably don't know that, but they come to one church and you know, you know, I hear the church gives. Can you help us out? And then they go to the church. Down the street, I hear the church helps people. Can you help us out? And they go to the church, and it's quite a little circuit, and and they're it's very profitable. They get money. They get food. They take advantage of people. 
and it shouldn't be like that. One of the saddest things we see in our country today is the fact that everybody's on government welfare. Now, there's those that need it. I get it. But there's a lot of those that are taking advantage. When I look around and I see how many jobs are available, and, and, and I hear the same thing from business owners all over, uh, nobody wants to work. Well, why would you want to work if you can get enough be benefits from the government there you don't have to work because you actually get more. I heard this week that in our nation, there are three states in our nation that pay out benefits to somebody that doesn't work up to $106,000 a year. I'm like, I'm going to move. <laughs> I want to make that kind of money. And the sad thing is, is that, you know, how's anybody going to want to go get a job for $15, $20 an hour when you can make $56, $57 an hour not to work? And the more that takes over, the more our country will collapse. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray. Because the Bible tells us that if we can work, we should work. Because work is good for us. It builds character. It builds discipline. I know the one thing that really got me to work was having kids. I was like in the game immediately. I have to do this. Right? Do you know God works hard? If God didn't work, we wouldn't be here. Mitch gave a message a couple weeks ago, and, and he said uh, about how God, you know, he was talking about the Sabbath and the Jews, and it was a time for them to rest, but he said God didn't rest on the Sabbath. And what he meant was, what he meant was God doesn't take a day off. Aren't you glad? Because if God takes a day off, we would cease to exist. We wouldn't have air. We wouldn't have sunshine. We wouldn't have food. We'd, he, God is in the game. Jesus, when, when He was on this earth, He worked. He set an example for us, didn't He? He was, he was a what? Carpenter. Did you know church history tells us and, and it, th there was a legend, and I want to believe it because it sounds great, but according to church history, there was a legend about Jesus Christ. And it goes like this. Before He started His ministry, He was known throughout the area and beyond for making yokes. Now, yokes are the things that go on an ox so they can pull a cart or a plow. And they have to be custom fitted to the animal or they could cause abuse and pain and, and hurt to the animal and the animal would be less productive. And if you had to find someone that made them really good. And Jesus was known for making them really good. I mean, He's God. He'd probably just take a glance at him like, I know exactly what you need. Aren't you going to measure it? Nope, I got it. And the word on the street was these yokes were so awesome that production went up in the fields and the animals were stronger and more productive. Why should we commit ourselves to God? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let him put his yoke on you that you could be more productive than you ever were before. See, sometimes we act like we don't have time. We're too busy. I'll tell you what, you make the time and yield yourself to God, He will blow your mind and you'll realize, I should have done this a long time ago. 
That's the kind of God we serve. Adam and Eve, they worked in the garden, didn't they? They worked in the garden until they fell. Something changed when they fell. They still worked. But when they fell into sin, work became cursed. And by the sweat of your face, you will eat your bread. By the sweat of the brow. See, before the fall, there was no weeds. There was no thorns. The idea of working was just tending to the trees and the the fruits and the vegetables and just picking what you need because there wasn't any weeds. I don't know about you, but weeds grow really well in my yard. I can't make anything grow that I want to grow. It dies, but I can't seem to kill the weeds though. And that's the curse. And so now we work. When we get into heaven, we'll be working. We'll be serving God. But it won't be by the sweat of our brow. You know why? Because we'll love it. And there'll be no curse in heaven. There's an old saying, if you love your job, it's not really a job, is it? When we get to heaven and we're serving God, we're going to love it. When He's going to ask you to do something, it's going to be something you love to do. Because then you love to do it for Him. And therefore, it doesn't become a job. So, God says, work. And He says, those who are able to work and don't, withdraw yourself from them in the church. That they would be ashamed. That they would quit sponging off the church. Now, you've got to remember, they had gotten a false letter that the rapture had already taken place. Remember that? That's why Paul's writing this second letter. And they were told that they were already in the tribulation to be looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so some of these guys, you can kind of understand where they're at. They're like, well, let's just quit our jobs and just go all in. But the problem was is that they were then asking the people in the church to take care of them because they didn't want to work because they were somehow a little more spiritual seeking the things of God because God was coming very soon. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't even try to pull that. You don't work, you don't eat. Get to work. And the ones that can't work, we'll take care of. That's our job as the church. Right? That's what we're called to do. Now, some people will claim they, they, they're not working because they can't find the right job. I'm too overqualified. Because I've talked to people. I said, well, why don't you work at the coffee shop? Why don't you go work at McDonald's? Why don't you... you, Oh, no. I'm not working there. I've got a degree. I'm, I'm overqualified. Yeah, but you need work. Why don't you just get that job at the coffee shop? Well, it only pays $15 an hour. I don't, I, I don't want to work there. I'm not working for $15 an hour. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but you're not working at all. So why don't you take the job that pays $15 an hour until you find the job that you're qualified for? But that's not the mentality today. 
A lot of people sitting around just waiting for that $50 an hour job. How come you're not working? I haven't found a job yet. Are you really looking? Well, you know, no, I don't want that job. I need something that pays more. And a lot of people are looking for veterans' pay with rookie experience. I should probably keep moving through this. In verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So once again, Paul's saying, listen, get a job, eat your own bread, stop mooching off the church. In other words, stop being lazy. Because he says here, when you're not working and you have all this time on your hand, that what happens is you can get yourself in trouble. Right? What's the old saying? Idle hands are devil's playground, devil's workshop. That's an old saying. There's another old saying that I use. If you need something done right away, ask somebody who's super busy. That's, that describes our staff. Our staff is like doing so many. They're, they're, they're full-time here. They're part-time somewhere else. They are so busy, but if I ask them to get something done, they do it because busy people get stuff done. I can ask somebody who's not busy, who's barely working, hey, can you do this? Oh, you know, bro, uh, wow, no, you know, I'm really, I'm busy that day. What are you doing? I got something at 3. I'm asking you to do this at 9 a.m. Oh, uh, no. You guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You want something done, you find somebody who's super busy. So he warns us, telling us that when we have too much time on our hands, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Right? We're going to become lazy. We're going to become gossipers. We're going to become busybodies. And that's the real danger of the Christian is when he's got too much time on his hands, he's too concerned with what everybody else is doing, and he gets caught up in gossip. Or she gets caught up in gossip. And this should not be in the church. Gossip is a sin. If you find out something about somebody, we just read Matthew 18. What do you do? You go to that person directly. Don't come to me. Don't put it on social media. Don't get everybody's opinion before you talk to that person. Go straight to them. Because otherwise you're gossiping. And if people come up to you, and it's tough. Because we like to hear some good junk, don't we? I, I know you're not going to say amen, but somebody comes up, did you hear about so-and-so? You're like, no, what? What's the details? We shouldn't be doing that. Well, then how do I deal with it? Well, here's what I do. When someone comes up to me and they're like, did you hear about so-and-so? I first off say, do I need to hear about so-and-so? Well, I think you do. You're the pastor. Then my second remark is going to be, can I quote you on 
what you're about to say. Oh, well, no, I, th- th- I just thought you should know. I, don't, yeah, don't bring me into it. That just nips it right there. And remind them, Matthew 18, say, I'll tell you what, obviously you're not familiar with Matthew 18. Go to your brother, talk it out. If it doesn't work out, come back, get me. I'll grab somebody else. We'll go, we'll talk to them. That's how you do it. Because gossip will destroy a church. And I can't tell you how many churches have been destroyed by lies about the people in the church, about the leaders in the church, and and rather than coming and asking them point blank, they just take someone's word and they spread it a little farther and people leave. In 1 Timothy 5.13 it says, "They, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Romans 16, 17 tells us, Now I urge you, brethren, to mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. This is God's telling us how to deal with this kind of stuff. If you've got someone that's trying to spread stuff around and they won't stop, and you've done Matthew 18, he says, Mark them, get them out. Because they're going to destroy the body of Christ. In verse 14, he says, And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them, that he may be ashamed. Wow, that's, that's pretty heavy words. He says in verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Why does he say that? Because, you know, sometimes when you have to confront, you feel so horrible for doing it because someone will make you feel horrible. And he says, don't feel bad about doing the right thing. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you don't get the sin out of the camp, it's going to spread throughout the church. So you go in love and you share and don't grow weary in doing good. Because this is what a healthy church needs. And that's why then he goes on and says, if anyone does not obey our word in this letter, note that person, do not keep company with them that they might be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He's not an enemy. He's your brother. He made a mistake. Are you going to make a mistake? Probably. How do you want someone to come to you? In love, right? And so he encourages them. But to those who are unruly, put them out. Because they'll cause division. Because their heart's not for Jesus. Their heart's in the wrong direction. Actually, Paul says, Romans 16, 18, he says, for those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own bellies. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple for your obedience has become known to all. Just like he's saying to the Thessalonians, he's saying to the, the Romans, he's saying, he's saying, listen guys, everybody hears of your good works and your obedience and you're, you're sold out for God and you're standing up for what's right. 
He then says in Romans 16, he says, Therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what's good and simple concerning evil. That means, you know, I don't want you to be a professional on evil. I don't want you to be like, you know, knowing all about evil. He says, turn away from evil. Stay away from it. Don't, don't get to know it really good where you become an authority on evil. Be simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. God's coming soon. And uh, He's going to put down Satan. And oh, what a day it will be. And He's going to set up His kingdom. We're going to rule and reign with Him. I'm looking forward to that, and I think it's coming soon. In verse 16, He says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every letter, so I write. Now He said that because there was these, these false letters that were going around. And... Uh, saying that they were from Paul. So now, Paul had an eye, eye problem. So you have like Timothy or Silas write this letter, and then he says, I'm going to put my signature at the bottom for, so from now on you'll know if it's really from me. That's why he put that there. And then the last verse he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Great epistle. I love First and Second Thessalonians. But in closing, I would like to encourage you not to be just hearers of the word, but what? Doers. Amen? It's easy to say amen. Which means you agree. It's another thing to do what you agree with. And there lies the challenge for all of us, including myself. We can come week after week and hear a message and say, I, I totally agree. And then go right out those doors and not do anything different. Make 2023 the time that you do something different. Let me close with this. Turn to Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, I... I this hit me um, because Friday I was making breakfast at home and my wife was listening to Jack Hibbs doing his last message for the year on a Wednesday night. And he was talking about Joshua bringing Israel into the promised land. And it was a picture of like us. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, it's like us crossing over the Jordan into the promised land. Now, a lot of people say, oh, the promised land is a picture of heaven. No, it's not. Because why? Because the promised land had the enemy in the promised land. The, the promised land had sin in the promised land. The, the promised land was full of those serving their flesh. And when the children of Israel came over the Jordan, it was, it was symbolic of them being sold out for the Lord, and now they had to go clean out their land because it was infected with sin. And it was so infected that these groups that they had to go conquer, God would say, wipe out every man, woman, child, even the animals, because there was so much satanic activity in these, these groups that was just sexual immorality, blood sacrifice, child sacrifice. They, they were gone. 
there was no more talking to them, and God was going to cleanse the area. So don't get upset when God says something like, go in and wipe out every man, woman, and child. There's a problem. There's an infection, and it's affecting other people. So they had to go in and clean. And when he said that, it, it hit me this chapter at the end because at the end, Joshua speaks to the people before he dies. And the point I'm trying to make is when you got saved, there was a transformation that took place in your life. It was like you crossed over your own Jordan into the promised land, but now you've got to deal with the sin and the flesh, and you've got to fight against it. And so Joshua, look at chapter 24 of Joshua, verse 14. And as I read this, think of yourself right now. Okay? Don't think this is for somebody else. Apply it to yourself as I read this. I think it's going to be real healthy for all of us because it's so true. He says, verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Is that good stuff or what? Get the junk out of your life. That's what he's saying to me. That's what he's saying to you. Serve the Lord. Well, that's good. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and they said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Amen? Look what Joshua then says. Joshua says to the people, you can't. You cannot serve the Lord. For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and His voice we will obey. I don't know about you, but that hit me pretty good this week. And may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. 
The Lord be with you all. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder and the patience. Lord God, we really need a move of the Spirit for 2023. We want to see the church burn bright before you take us out, Lord God. And so, Lord, give us what we need to up our game for you, to up our service for you, to be about your business, to be other-centered. Lord, strengthen us as only you can do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.